amazing road together, and he's really, to me, a standout leader. Um, I've traveled the nation, and he's a young leader that the Lord is raising up to model um, a new breed of church. Breed meaning church is about the people, not the building and the, all the other stuff. A new breed of church, one of those leaders who really see God's vision for the nation and the community. So uh, in his absence, um, please share that with him. Um, but yeah, and the leadership team, Ursula, you guys are doing so well. Um, it's, it's, there's something special that's happening here in George. Um, and we know, um, you know, when I, sw- <laughs> I almost joke, I, I drove through the uh, street and I saw the one arrow, Folle Evangelica, this way, another church that way, and I thought they must just put an arrow, heaven, this way. <laughs> I pray for the day where we can talk about the church of George, <laughs> God uniting his people. Um, you know, and yes, we know each church has a different mandate and a God has a calling. But honestly, the unification of God's people, even if we can have, you know, city events where all the people, God's people come together, there's amazing things happening in George. And I, honestly, I spoke this week at a business breakfast, um, at a couple actually, um, and uh, I shared to them, uh, George, actually this whole area, maybe Garden Route even, uh, George Mossel by there's a there's there's a modeling calling on this area of the country. You are a, you are called to model things to go out to the nation, and that's why I appreciate that interpretation of the um, what you said because out of the word God is going to raise up seeds are being planted, but out of that things will grow that will be an example to the rest of the nation. And that's linked to the word that I sense for, for this morning. So, uh, yeah, let's turn to the word. Um, I want you to turn to 2 Kings 22. Um, it's a fascinating passage. Um, that whole two kings, um, one kings is a lot about David and Saul and all the, what happened there. But two kings goes into all the other kings that came after uh, David and many of his family line, actually. So up until this point, um, especially, um, you'll see the king, the, the, the new king here, is, his name is Josiah, uh, Josiah, okay, Josiah, um, uh, and also in David's lineage, um, but his father and grandfather, grandfather was Manasseh, uh, Manasseh, not um, Joseph's son, it was a later lineage, um, but uh, they were evil kings. Just to give you context of what happened until this point, for 60 years, okay, for 60 years, they've been sacrificing to idols in the temple. They've been, uh, uh, Manasseh actually sacrificed his firstborn son to Molech. Molech. Um, they, he, he, he did um, all of these sorcery stuff. Uh, so they adopted everything that God warned them that was happening in the pagan nations, and they invited that into Israel and even into the temple of God. It was shocking what was happening. They had male prostitutes in the, in the temple of God. You know, one don't realize when, when evil takes a people on a trip, it goes from bad to worse to worse and it totally collapses. Why? Because he comes to kill, steal, and destroy that's his agenda. 
from the start. He wants to wipe out that nation because they were a vehicle through which God spoke to the rest of the world. Remember, that's the purpose of why he spoke to Abram. Um, and he spoke to Abram just after the building of the Tower of Babel. So I don't know if you know the story, even if you go into Jewish history. Nimrod was very much uh, involved in the building of the Tower of Babel. The whole focus there was making a name for themselves and building a one-world order. One kind of worship, not the worship of, of the true God. One kind of control system, money system. Um, one kind of political system where you've got a man who becomes a god to the people. He was a hunter of people. He was a hunter of animals. Um, so that whole system, um, you know, was the first form of rebellion against God after Noah. But in that same time period, God raised up Abraham, chose him a man through which he wants to bless the nations. So, so Israel is not just a, a nation. They are a family. They are related. They come from one man, one family, 12 brothers, and then the family expanded. So one must realize that God had a high purpose for Israel. So when they go into sin, it's like, how does God now speak to the nations? Now he must speak to the nations by punishing Israel to show that I won't, I won't allow this. I will even remove you from the land. And that's what he said there. After Manasseh, um, he was king for about 55 years, and then his son became king, I think Amon, for two years, and he was murdered by his own people. So it was, it was the worst leadership you can think of, and he, he actually caused the people to fall into sin. Now, it almost feels like it's kind of where we are going with this country, isn't it? It's just kind of from bad to worse. Where is the good leadership? Where is the proper decision-making? Where is the values going? You know, and we think of, um, I mean, if you, many people are going to the Western Cape or coming here because there is at least better governance than the potholes in the free state and how things, whatever, and the corruption or whatever. But I see in Cape Town they are building sidewalks with rainbow stripes. So where's the value system here? You see, who do you bow to? It seems like better governance, but then there are other values also being introduced, just in another way. So, so we need godly intervention. Godly intervention. I want to tell you this nation is on a knife edge. It's at a tipping point. It's at a point where unless God's people rise up and show the way, you know about what leadership is about knowing the way, showing the way, and then going the way. You need to know the way. How do we know the way? There's no better compass than this one. This is knowing the way. Jesus Christ, word became flesh. Showing the way. Speaking to the municipality, speaking to those in power, speaking to the principals, all the decision makers in society need to hear what God has to say. That's godly leadership. A true leader never is dependent on a position. You are a function 
in the body of Christ. If you keep silent, who will hear the truth? Who will hear the good news? And I think this is the moment where God is shaking the church out of churchianity and into kingdom, advancing the kingdom in the marketplace. Unless the church steps up, this nation don't have a chance. God has plans and desires for this nation, absolutely. He had it from the beginning for Israel. But if there's leadership who falls away, who follows other paths and adopt the ways of the world, what can he do? He needs man's cooperation. So we're at a point where we need to realize this is the moment for the body of Christ to step up and fill this void. If we have a leadership vacuum, there's no leadership, then it's an invitation to God's people to say, come. Come into this space. You don't need a position. You start influencing. And a collective voice is always stronger than one voice alone. So allow God to today speak to you in this regard because you need to become a stronger influencer. And I'm so glad that prayer is actually prophetic about, let's pray about your sphere of influence. But your capacity to influence is much more than what you think. You currently have a few people that you influence that's in your circle of influence. But God wants to widen your circle and also increase your impact. And that's what we need to realize. When a nation is at a tipping point and we don't seize the moment, the enemy will come and destroy. That's where we are. And this is not to scare you. This is not to say, you know, this is to wake us up fully as the body of Christ. Awake, you sleeper. Let Christ's light shine on you. Let's get out of the over-spiritualizing of our walk with God and say, no, it's just about praying and the Bible, and then I go to work and I'm just, you know, doing my stuff. You are called to influence. A church must be measured by its impact, not by its numbers and its money and all of that. If, if nothing changes when a church is removed from a community, there was no impact. I wish we can start thinking that way about church. What's the impact factor of a, of a congregation? Because that's what it's about. Salt and light, impact. If salt loses its saltiness, we are gone. We become irrelevant. We don't stay relevant by doing all the bells and whistles. We stay relevant by having a prophetic voice to the world. To the world. By, by the love of Christ moving into people sensing that. So it's not just about rebuking, it's also about loving, caring. They see God in you. And that touches them, it speaks to them. So this is the awakening that God is busy with in our nation. Why? Because the, the moment calls for it. The situation is desperate enough. So it's good news. You are summoned into action. Not by me, by the Holy Spirit. This is the moment. And the message is about tuning you in in terms of sensing. You know, it's like a smell. Um, 
you smell something, you realize this is it. This is the moment. Why should we wait? This is the moment to break through from all forms of passivity. Okay, so it was chaos in Israel. Then the grandson of Manasseh, okay, also in David's lineage. Um, he, uh, verse, from verse 1, I'm going to read uh, quickly that whole chapter. And this is actually amazing. Chapter 22, 23, please go and read it uh, on your time. Um, and I think you can, yeah, until 23. It's amazing things that happen there. Um, after this mass crisis and mass, you know, falling away almost. So Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Okay, so can an eight-year-old govern a nation? No ways. Okay, so he relied on whoever, you know, was around him, actually. But he reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was uh, Yedida, uh, the daughter of Ayadiah uh, of Bosca. And he did what was right, important, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father, David. So David wasn't his direct father, but in their language, they see David as the father, and he was reflecting David's ways of good governing. He did not turn, uh, turn aside to the right or the left. Um, so now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah. So there was a moment. He, 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 he was king for 18 years, and then he woke up. So he did what was required of him, you know, obeying the Lord. But he wasn't fulfilling his destiny or the nation's destiny. So the 18th year of his reign, uh, that the king sent uh, Shaphan, uh, the scribe, the son of uh, Azaliah, the son of uh, Meshulam, uh, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkah the high priest, that ye may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered for the, from the people. And let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work, who are the overseers of the house of the Lord. Let them give it um, the work to repair the damages of the house to carpenters and builders and masons and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. This is the temple. However, there need to be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. So he, he, he started a redistribution system from the temple. Now, just to give you an idea, many people, um, they don't realize actually what Jesus did when he turned the tables in the temple. When he walked in there, it wasn't just about, you know, money trading and stuff and all kinds of, you know, um, uh, exploiting people and things happening in the temple. It was about turning the tables on the banking system of that time. It was run, the banking system was run by the money changers from the temple. He was changing systems. You remember to some that he healed, Jesus, he said to some, um, go and tell the priests that you've been healed. And to others he said, don't tell anybody. Why did he do that? Have you ever wondered? The priests, one of their major forms of income was the people 
that came to them who were sick and ill and whatever, and they had to pay something. Then they prayed, and the people never got ill, you know, uh, never got healed. Um, so Jesus was cutting off their income. That system. You see, he's he's a reformer. He changes systems. If you go into the research into many of those reasons, um, and this was what Josiah was doing. He was saying, listen, the money gathered in the temple, we need to reward those who are repairing it, building it, you know, because they did it for free. So let's look after them. In a community, so many food are being wasted. So many things are being wasted. We need to rethink the economy of a community. And that's nothing to do with mammon. It's actually uprooting mammon. Because we, we're getting to God's economy. I mean, that's what this book is about, the inclusive economy. God's model for the economy. Why? Because it unlocks the blessings of the Lord in a town, in a community, in a nation. And it was a way for them to also break out of that financial slavery. And this is what we are called to do. Part of it is to break the financial slavery. Africa suffers from financial slavery. You know that. Many nations rise up, but then they go down. They never break through. They stay dependent because of the shackles of economic slavery. One of the major things in this continent. We are called to be chain breakers. You realize that? Chain breakers, cycle breakers. Because the enemy traps people, communities, nations in cycles. So we need to break that. So this is an example, a classic example of him introducing. Remember his first step in, in reforming Israel is to deal with a money issue. Why? Because anything you own can own you. You know that. Anything you own can own you. So when God deals with a money issue or the economy aspects, he's dealing with the heart of the issues. Because if you touch people's pockets, then there's a sensitivity that rises up. Okay? But it shows the heart. So I want you to see this. That was the very first move in terms of reforming this nation. So then verse 8 then Hilkiah the high priest said to Sephon the scribe, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Look at what happens. After they start obeying God and do the right thing. What, is, what was the right thing? Rewarding those who labor. Re, making a, a, a redistributing the income in a better way than what was the case. Okay? Remember, that's the essence of the economy. The economy means oikonomos, which means it's a Greek word for management of the household. In a household, you don't ask who's making the most money, who's the richest. Let's, I'm trying to get richer than you. No, you ask, does everybody have enough? Is there enough for everybody? You steward the resources. That's what the economy is actually about. The money system is not the economy. It's just the medium of exchange. The economy is about the resources. So when uh, Josiah set the economy in place, on track, on the right track, what it happens, they found the book of the law in the temple, buried. God revealed because they were ready to steward what God was sending to them. Listen carefully. 
The worst thing would be to have a nation transformed, but there's not leaders to steward. The wine skin need to be ready for the new wine. The stewarding of what God placed in our hands. The worst thing is for a baby to be born and there's no parents to look after it. Then rather not be born, you know, that kind of. It's got nothing to do with abortion. It's about, you know, let's look after what God is birthing. So we are in a phase where God is preparing us to steward well what is coming. To be part of the change, but to steward that well. And how, did, how do we know how to steward? This is exactly what happened. When, when they found this book of the law, which in that sense, um, and please don't think it's now, no, that's old covenant, it's not relevant. No, no, it's about, for them it was the word of the Lord, God speaking. Um, and uh, um, so they found it, and Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king the word, saying, your servants have found it, uh, have gathered the money. So they report and said, it is done. Um, um, that was found in the house, and, um, and have delivered it into the hands of those uh, who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king's, uh, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shephan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law, that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priests, um, sorry, I'm just going to jump through those names, um, and said, go inquire uh, of the Lord for me, for the people and all of Judah, concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of, it, of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So you must remember, Josiah, he obeyed the Lord in terms of he had a love for God, he wanted to obey Him, but he never had like a Bible. A book that actually tells him this is what you must do and must not do. If you do this, there will be cursing or consequences. If you do this, there will be blessing. He didn't have that framework even. Now that he found it, God gave a framework to him and say, listen, what you sense is right, but this is how it actually works. So when he heard that, he, he realized, listen, what my fathers have done, is drawing God's wrath on our nation. And actually, if you read the chapter before that, God said, I'm going to wipe out Israel. I'm going to remove them from this, this land. You know, he actually said, the key thing is, Josiah tore his clothes. He was so heart-rent, so say, Lord, what have we done? That you call identificational repentance. He's not repenting for himself. He's repenting on behalf of his nation. Are we repenting on behalf of South Africa? Are we saying, Lord, what is happening in government, what we are seeing, I want to tore my clothes. You don't have to, but it was an Old Testament um, gebruik, um, habit or whatever, custom. To, to illustrate, and especially a leader like a king, to say this is, I'm, I'm torn to pieces when I hear this. 
because we are so out of line. But read further. So, um, he tore his clothes. Um, uh, so, verse 14, so Yukia the priest, um, okay, went to Adullah the prophet. So, he said, inquire of the Lord. So, they went to this lady, um, which is called um, the prophetess um, Hilda. That's right. Her name is Hulda. Um, and they spoke with her. Then she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, um, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book which the king of Judah was read, because they have forsaken me and burnt incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands, which happened before Josiah became king. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused again this place and shall not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, listen to this, as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you, you've heard, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation of a curse. And you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you. So it was like God was ready to strike this nation. To strike this nation and, 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 and let them deal with the consequences of their sin. But then a man stood up. A heart tender before the Lord. Crying on behalf of his nation. Because you have done this, the Lord says, I, I have heard you. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. So this prophetess or prophet um, shared this, this lady, and they said this to the king. That is what you call grace. God was ready to strike. But then because of a man standing in the gap for his nation, God held it back. And God said, I have heard you. I will respond to you because of you. That's the influence of leadership. Listen, leadership is not about how you influence people. It is how you influence God's reactions. Sure, that's something different. It's not how many people are following you. It is to what extent is God responding to you. And that impacts a nation, a people, your sphere of influence. So your, the condition of your heart on behalf of other people and what you see around you 
can move God in a certain direction. I just want to be clear. You can't control God. He's God. He's sovereign. He does what he wants. But he's drawn. I mean, he created us to be in intimacy with him. So when he sees that, especially in a leader, he cannot but just proceed. He must respond to this. So grace, um, let me give the difference between mercy and grace. Very often people say grace is undeserved favor. No, not quite. That's mercy. Grace is when God is merciful to you, but in such a way that he restores your true identity. So grace is when God is saying to you, um, let's say you dabble in sin or you're busy with something you know you should not be busy with. That's when God says to you, that's not who you are. He restores your identity. Grace is more than just you don't get what you deserve. You get more. You, 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 he puts a crown on your head. He restores you in the position, the, 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 the place where he wants to use you. That's grace. It's a full work of restoration. And that's what happened with Josiah. God recognized his heart and gave him that authority and identity to be the true leader of the nation. Now, after this, we don't have time to go into, but let me just read the first three verses of chapter 23. Now the king said to them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. Let me just explain something to you. Um, He's now in his 20s, okay? So he became king, um, but he's now in his 20s. So now he's starting to move into his, his destiny. You understand when a leader takes hold of his destiny, it affects people, nations. And I'm saying a leader in the sense that we are all leaders, all of us. You are called to influence. That's a leader. So when he responds and hears this, he responds and God gives him favor over the people. His influence grew. You'll see how that actually happens now. Because he received God's word and it empowered him. It was like David. Um, I don't know if you realize. (laughs) um, David was anointed by Samuel just before he met Goliath. If you go through the book of Samuel, um, 1 Samuel 17, I think, or 2 Samuel 17, um, David is anointed by, um, by, by Samuel, um, and then I think Saul calls him to his court to play on the harp. So God was starting to introduce David to the royal house. Can you see God's strategy? He's bringing in his king. He was anointed king. In God's eyes, David was the king. But he was young, and he had to gradually bring him in. So they were on the battlefield. Goliath was challenging the nation of Israel. They were all too scared 
And what happened? They couldn't respond. Hulle soos a bok wat dier a liew, it's a brol. They are shocked. You know, how do you fight this giant? He was, I mean, I think three meters tall, massive, huge. Everybody was afraid. So nobody could took up the challenge. <coughs> the problem is they were listening with ears that were, they were soldiers, just fighters. When David arrived on the battlefield, you remember he took food for his brothers, servant leadership, you know, without him even realizing it. He heard this giant speaking, and what was his response? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine challenging God's armies? Goliath didn't realize the true king arrived on the battlefield. David didn't listen like a soldier. He listened like a king. You see, and David didn't think of himself, well, I'm the king here and I'm arriving. No, 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 no. It was all the work of the Holy Spirit. He couldn't help but listen with the ear of a king. So his response was, this guy needs to be taken down. Typical of a king. How, how dare you challenge God's people? It's an authority of the Holy Spirit that rose up in, in, in David. Why? Because of the anointing of God. That's why Jesus, when he went up, he said to his disciples, go and wait on the Holy Spirit. We can do nothing of our own strength. You might have the, be the most, the best capabilities, the most money or the most whatever. You'll not be able to do what God has called you unless you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The anointing of God needs to rest on us. So as much as our focus is on impacting the world, you can only impact if your prayer time increase. If your time with God increase, if your intimacy with God increase, because the anointing of the Lord needs to rub off on you. And from that position, you start influencing. Then what you say carries much more weight. Then what you do has much more impact because it's the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the amazing thing. I mean... Um, we are so frail as humans. Hold up your breath for five minutes and you're gone. Your th skin is this thin. Somebody puts a knife through, you're dead. You, we are so vulnerable. But we are the crown of creation. Which means God created us to be fully dependent on Him. And when this relationship is established, a king aligning, standing as a righteous leader, coming in alignment with God's will, Miracles happen. Miracles happen. Change must take effect. Why? Because the, the unity between a God and a person, a man, is in place, and that affects nations. I want you to see this, because we, we are worried about a nation, and we think, Lord, what can I do? You don't even realize what you can do if you allow God to fully work through you. And this is a king who got into position. And listen to this. Um, now the king sent uh, them to gather all the elders of Judah. So he gathered the leaders in Jerusalem. 
The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with, all, with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. So he declared the word of the Lord to them, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul. So he himself as king bowed before the king of kings and committed himself fully to perform the words of, his, of this covenant that were written in the book and all the people took a stand for the covenant. One man obeys God and a whole nation starts bowing. That's the God that we serve. When we come into full unity with him, it must affect other people. When we come in alignment, when our hearts are rent by God's word. Remember, it was the word of God that he heard and he like rent his clothes. He cried, the word says there, he cried before the Lord, said, Lord, where are we? It shows the, what's up, rechtheid? Um, sincerity of his heart before God. And he was not just thinking of himself, he was thinking of his nation. Why? Because God has given word, prophecy, promises to them as a people. Don't we have that in South Africa? Have you ever heard one prophecy about South Africa? Yeah, you probably might have heard many. God has promises that are lying and waiting to be birthed. So as a people, it's for us to come in alignment, to take up our destiny, our calling fully, obey God, and the rest will happen. The rest will happen. He didn't worry about, Lord, how am I going to change this nation? How am I going to? He was obeying God's uh, God's voice fully. And then out of that, the Lord birthed amazing things. There's just a part, um, um, which says, um, can I quickly see there? Just want to read this to you and share it. This is the fruit of this. Because after that, you must see in the next, uh, the whole section, um, they, they held, um, he went about, they broke down all the altars, all those Asherah poles, all those Baal worship altars, he broke them down. He like, I mean, this was much worse than what Gideon did. Throughout the land, he wiped out, he, um, even the so-called pagan holy places, he desecrated them. He dismantled the strongholds of the enemy over Israel. He, he, he chased the the, 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 the male prostitutes out of the temple. It was incredible what happened. He wiped. And this is when God's leaders, God's people start standing up. After that, they had a festival. And they, the, it was just incredible. Amazing together. Um, verse 25 of chapter 23. Um, now before him there was no king, speaking about Josiah, before him there was no king like him, 
who turned to the Lord with all his heart. This includes David. With all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. We forget this incredible moment in history where God, through the nation of Israel, rose, rose up a leader that fully represented him. Probably the next one, or the true one, was Jesus himself. Complete representation of the Father. And the nation turned. A people obeyed. It's incredible. So your obedience is never just about you. Remember this. Your obedience is never just about you. Your submission to the Lord, bowing before the Word, let the Word saturate your life, is never just about you. You worshiping the Lord, you sharing the gospel unashamedly, is never just about you. Before Jesus comes for His church, He's coming through His church. It's through you that lives are changed. So we can never talk about a private Christianity. Yes, it always starts private. I can't have public victories and private failures. I must have private victories first. Not as a qualification for me, but as, a, as, a, as part of my walk with the Lord, walking in victory. And that victory then impacts those around me. And this is the good news. This is the good news. That God can use a frail human being to change the world. One man to change a nation. Forget the fact that he had this position. God doesn't need positions. He brought down giants without positions. David was a boy. Nobody expected anything from him. There's one thing God will use. One thing. You've got to give something that's in you that make you special. God will bring that out. And it's not about you. It's about God taking territory from the enemy. That's what happened there. Because God gave promises and it's a threat to the enemy. The enemy wants to be in possession of the land. But what Josiah did was not just to take possession, uh, sorry, not just to, 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 to inherit the land, but to take full possession of the land. Wiping out the enemy altars and bringing in godly worship, a heart set on the Lord. So your obedience is never about yourself. God is awakening his people in this nation. Awakening his people in communities, in towns. I'm speaking all over the country and I can see this. So if this is the day where you say, Lord, I am, what's melt on? Um, I report for duty. I report for duty. I'm signing up. I'm aligning myself fully with God's will so that he can use me. So that a nation can change, a community can change, 
so that we can model in George what God's heart is for the nation. 